Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi everyone, welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I'm sitting down with Rick Shapiro. Rick, a former practicing attorney, is a leading consultant and researcher in the field of safe, evidence-based, integrative, and complementary cancer treatments. His commitment to inform people of cutting-edge therapies that are saving lives and enhancing quality of life beyond statistical norms brings real hope to people afflicted with late-stage and terminal cancer prognoses. As a passionate advocate, Rick collaborates with an internationally renowned cancer specialist. He has consulted with and coached patients throughout the United States and all over the world. Mr. Shapiro has interviewed hundreds of people who have thwarted dire metastatic cancer challenges and who are enjoying life 10, 15, and 25 plus years later. The culmination of Mr. Shapiro's deep research is found in his Amazon bestseller, Hope Never Dies. I look forward to sharing my conversation with Rick, but before I do, I just want to remind you, if you're looking for some great tips on cancer prevention, go to my website at revivewellness.com. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com and click on free gift. Hi, Rick. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Good morning. Great to see you. So I wanted to know the impetus for writing Hope Never Dies. The origins of Hope Never Dies go back to 1996 when my dad was afflicted with cancer. Um, He was told he had an aggressive lymphoma. And in January of 1996, they said we might be able to conquer this lymphoma with an aggressive chemotherapy. So the doctor literally said, let's bring out the big guns. And at that, t- at that point in time, I knew nothing about integrative cancer or complementary treatments and therapies. All I knew about was standard of care, which is basically chemo, radiation, and surgery. So they brought out the big guns, and they gave him this very powerful chemo. And ultimately, the, do- the nurses said they didn't think he would survive 48 hours because the chemo was so horrific. I'm not going to even describe the direct effects, not side effects, but the very direct effects of that chemotherapy protocol. He was supposed to go through six cycles. He went through one cycle. He said, no more. And I couldn't argue with him. A month later, February 15th, the doctor said, we look at your dad's situation as terminal. And I felt very helpless and hopeless and didn't have any solutions or things that I could do to help my dad. And it was a rough time. He passed away March 29th of 1996. And after I saw what chemo did to him, I started wondering, is is there a better way? Are there things we could bring to the table, any interventions or therapies or treatments that might help people deal with cancer issues that are not so drastic in their side effects? Then I had something happen to me in 2001. In 2001, I wanted to increase my life insurance. And I had some blood work done right here in my office. And uh, they came back and said, we're going to give you more life insurance. However, 
your liver enzymes are high. And I didn't even know what that meant. So I sent the blood work to my doctor and I said, what does this mean? Is this something or is this nothing? And he said, well, let's get some more blood work done. And he said, your liver enzymes are high. And they did an ultrasound. They said, you have some evidence of a fatty liver. He said, do you drink a lot? I said, no, if I have two beers in a week and, and, and two gin and tonics at a wedding, that's a lot for me. So no, I don't drink. Lo and behold, my liver started bothering me 12 times per day. Literally, it felt like it was being squeezed in a vice and uh, a lot of discomfort. They did a CAT scan. They said, you got evidence of a fatty liver. And, you know, this would be non-alcoholic fatty liver syndrome or fatty liver disease. He sent me to a specialist. He took eight bottles of blood out of me. And he said, everything came back negative, but my liver enzymes were going through the roof. And they said, we want to do a biopsy on your liver. And I said, ouch. That were words that scared me, biopsy on your liver. And liver biopsies are not a pleasant experience. So I said to the doctor, let's make a deal. I said, give me 30 days. And if I can start to bring my liver enzyme numbers down within 30 days, let's put off this biopsy. And he said, okay. I read a book by an Australian doctor and a European doctor, and I went on a, a nutritional protocol, if you will, where I was primarily eating plant-based foods. I went off of the standard American diet, which is a lot of processed foods, refined foods, lots of foods with sugar and confectionery junk. And uh, by going through this plant-based uh, protocol and drinking about 24 to 32 ounces of freshly made veggie juice every day, freshly made, I brought my numbers down to normal in six months, no biopsy. So that made me think that maybe there were other things we could do to alter the disease process and impact potentially things like cancer. So then I went in 2010 to my first cancer conference because I was doing a lot of studying and research about potential protocols, treatments, and therapies. And again, when my dad passed away in 96, I knew nothing about anything except standard of care. But I was now discovering that other things that I, concern, that I considered to be nonsense way back when, a lot of them had plausibility. A lot of them were evidence-based and not just junk science, that there was real science that stood behind a lot of these therapies. So after going to my first cancer conference in 2010 in Florida, I got back on the airplane after listening to a variety of doctors, scientists, researchers, people who, deal, who are dealing with cancer. And I said to myself, self, there is something to this. So since 2010, I've only been to 30 cancer conferences. I'm on the board of directors of an organization in Florida, a nonprofit, and one in Los Angeles dealing with integrative and evidence-based complementary cancer therapies. I wanted to let the world know that there were other things that could be done because to save lives, extend lives, and enhance quality of life because cancer got personal with my family. It took my father's life and my grandfather's life. So I just felt it was important for people to know that there were things they could do despite the fact they might be told they were stage four or terminal because the 20 people in the book that I interviewed were all told essentially to get their affairs in order. And they are thriving 10, 15, and 25 years later. And that's just a mere microcosm of the world, the 20 stories. And uh, I've met at least 500 people, Haley, who were told oh. to get your affairs in order who are still here at various conferences. That is amazing. What did you learn from these remarkable cancer patients, you know, in terms of their attitude or did they have something in common? Great, great question. Attitude does matter. The concept of hope matters and the 
need for compliance matters. So let's discuss that a little bit. If you want to climb a local mountain or a hill or go for a hike or go go for a, a two-mile walk or three-mile jog, if you approach that that task with negativity, with, oh, I don't know if I can make it up that hill. Oh, which, I'm too tired or it's too big for me. The chances of making it up that hill are slim. If you go in and embrace the challenge and say, hey, I'm going to do it. Failure is not an option. I'm going to make it up that hill. The chances of success are optimized, are much greater. So attitude really does matter. You need to find that inner resolve and that, that inner fight, that no quit attitude. Regarding the concept of hope, we all want to know, especially when you are diagnosed with a late stage cancer, stage three, stage four, terminal, hypothetically, you want to know that somebody else walked in your shoes, that other people have been there and are here 10, 20, 25 years later. And there are, I'm here to tell you that unequivocally. I don't care what kind of cancer that you or a family member or a friend may have. There are people who have beat the odds, who were given terminal prognoses. And regarding the issue of compliance, attitude, hope, and compliance, it is critical that one complies with and adheres to integrative and complementary therapies that can be profoundly beneficial. If you just try something for a week or a couple of weeks, that doesn't work. Moderation doesn't work when you're dealing with a serious cancer diagnosis. You need to change your bad habits, the old habits, many of them being lifestyle habits, and you need to implement new habits into your life, which is not easy. We all know it's hard to change habits and, and our ways of doing things, but compliance and adherence is really quite important. Yeah, I know I had ovarian cancer in 1998, and I really didn't know much either. I followed the doctor's orders and they told me that I would have a good percentile chance of living if I did the surgery and the chemo and all that stuff. And, you know, you put a lot of faith in, in your doctors and, and that's okay. But when they tell you it's a bad prognosis that you only have two weeks to live a month in your book, you know, maybe two years was maybe the most. How did these survivors overcome that? It's not easy. I found that most of the people in the book and people whom I've met at these 30 cancer conferences, they have this this real inner fight. A lot of them are independent. They are self-advocates for themselves. And they don't just accept a particular doctor's diagnosis or prognosis as being the end all of their outcome. And when you've seen other people who have been told by major cancer centers in this country, major cancer centers and renowned oncologists, when they've told you that you know, you've got a slim chance or a 20% chance of making it two years or gets your affairs in order and, and people live, it gives you hope. And you, you, but you, that independence, that self-advocacy, that uh, becoming a cancer scholar, and becoming a cancer scholar means doing homework and research. A lot of people take on what's called the uh, cancer warrior per- persona. You know, let's kill a cancer, let's fight it, let's knock it out. And there's a place for that, but there's also a place for changing your biochemistry, transforming yourself. And 
conventional cancer doesn't do that. Conventional cancer talks about, you know, chemotherapy, that's, that's that toxic chemical they put in your body, let's kill the cancer, or let's burn the cancer with radiation, or let's cut it out. But guess what? Frequently, there are recurrences. Why are there recurrences? Because they don't get all the cancer. But there might be something called stem cells, which are still in your body. They may, they may eradicate 95% of the cancer with chemo, but that 5% can come back and rear its ugly head three years, five years, 10 years later. It takes a, a fighting spirit. Yes. And with all these safe and effective treatments that we know of today, why do you think that standard care treatments are, are not using these, these other treatments? Yeah, great question. There's several reasons. One of the overarching reasons is lack of knowledge. When people go to medical school, and, and let's face it, you know, most people follow a strict standard of care. They go to medical school, uh, there's a dogmatic, rigid approach. And the approach is, this is how we deal with this particular issue, but this is how we deal with this particular cancer. Let me give you an example. The National Academy of Science in 2010, the National Academy of Science came out with a study and it said that only 27%, approximately one quarter of all the medical schools out there have any kind of a nutritional class or class in nutrition. And they just talk about moderation. Nutritional oncology itself is a science. It truly is. And if you utilize and implement that into your general protocol of living in general or fighting cancer, it can be profoundly beneficial. But they don't go down that road and they're not educated in that arena. Secondly, um, we live in a pharmaceutical medicine society and most doctors will only prescribe things that are approved by the FDA. To get something approved by the FDA, you must go through a randomized, large, placebo-controlled study and double blind. So these studies, according to Tufts University, they did a study in 2014, they said it costs approximately $2.5 billion, not million, billion dollars from drug, drug idea to drug approval. Now let's say that that number is even a little high, but this is from Tufts University, a renowned and prestigious university. Let's say it costs 1 billion. Why does a drug company spend a billion dollars? And by the way, all of these studies, 75% of these studies are sponsored by pharmaceutical companies. These are large conglomerates that are seeking ROI, return on investment. They get a 20 year patent regarding the drug that is approved by the FDA, 20 years to sell that drug internationally. Think about this, when you watch television today, how often do you see drug commercials on TV? for cancer and other things. And don't forget, look at the little font, the number two font at the bottom of the screen, which you can barely read, which talks about side effects, which talks about how effective this really is. And they're not that effective. Maybe it buys you another four months. So we live in a pharmaceutical society. Uh, Everybody wants a quick fix. You know, doc, what kind of pill can I take? And it's really a lack of knowledge, dogmatic training, in this one arena, they're not taught, taught integrative therapies or complementary therapies. This is the way to do it. They do it standard of care. But there's other ways. We, we really need to rethink how we fight cancer and expand the box of what should be considered standard of care, such as nutritional oncology and other things. I completely agree. And, and do you think it's getting better? Slowly. 
unfortunately, glacially slowly, but I mean, there's with the, the advent of the internet, which has only been around approximately 20-ish years, uh, people are now looking on the internet and discovering that there are other things one can bring to the table. Uh, there is, in fact, an organization called SIO, Society of Integrative Oncology. I've been to their conference. Uh, there are naturopathic doctors who go to accredited four-year schools, four-year medical schools in the naturopathic arena who specialize only in cancer, who are accredited in the cancer world. They can be very helpful. There are complementary specialists who can be helpful to people regarding evidence-based supplementation, nutrition, and other interventions we can bring to the table. So it's slow. Um, I wish it were more rapid because every day, a lot of people die from cancer. Right. And people are getting diagnosed daily. To give quick context to that, approximately 600,000 plus people die of cancer right now. And about 1.7 million people are diagnosed every year. So putting that in context, 600,000 plus per year dying. About 38,000, 35 to 40,000 people die of car accidents every year. That's in three weeks, 35,000 people die from cancer. In the war in Vietnam that went on for about 10 years, for those of you who are a little bit older, in the war in Vietnam, 58,000 U.S. soldiers died over U.S. of U.S. soldiers died in Vietnam. 58,000 people died from cancer every five weeks. So it, it kind of gives things context and the amount of deaths as an absolute number is increasing. It's, we don't have a great grasp around this. There are minor breakthroughs here or there that are touted as great breakthroughs, but we haven't come up with any kind of, there's no silver bullet. Right. And I'm so glad you wrote this book because it highlights so many of these amazing practitioners that are doing such incredible work and so many people don't know about it. You know, that being said, I'd love you to tell me maybe a couple stories of people who had a bad prognosis and are thriving to this day. Sure. In fact, I'll paraphrase a, a, a part of the chapters and a couple of stories here. First, let's talk about there's a woman lives up in your area in Ohio, uh, Janet Summer. And by the way, in the book, I use real names. There's no pseudonames of these people. Um, Janet was a lifelong nurse and nurse educator in Ohio. She was a tennis player, but she happened to have this chronic nagging cough that suddenly came about. And she was diagnosed in 1995 with metastatic lung cancer, which had spread to the pancreas, stomach, and liver. She was given three to six weeks to live, three to six weeks, not months. She went for a second opinion and they said, well, we think maybe three months to live. She had surgery to remove a, a stomach mass and she did have one dose of chemo, but after one dose of chemo, she couldn't tolerate any more chemo. Janet went from 114 pounds down to 72 pounds in three weeks. A most precipitous, dangerous weight loss. Imagine 72 pounds. That's over 30% of your body weight in three weeks. Uh. Janet said, and I quote, I look like a concentration camp survivor. Janet went into hospice care. And one of her docs, a conventional doctor said, why don't you try an alternative treatment? And Janet's response was, and again, she was a nurse educator and a nurse. She said, I can't, it's mere nonsense and it's for hippies. That was her comment. Reluctantly, 
at the urging of her sister, she contacted a macrobiotic counselor, a macrobiotic counselor. Um, and she was very reluctant to engage in this particular type of diet, which is akin to and similar to what's called the Mediterranean diet. And she was very fortunate. She had eight friends who nursed her <clears throat> back to health with this strict diet. The progress was slow. And again, she was in hospice for over a year. Most people, as you know, who go into hospice are not with us a week or two later, but over a year. She changed her biochemistry and she made it all the way back. She went in front of what's called the tumor board. Her doctor said, why don't you go in front of a tumor board? And a tumor board is a group of people, sometimes 10 or 15, who talk about somebody's um, cancer journey. And at that tumor board, they had oncologists, nurses, and social workers. One of the oncologists at this tumor board said, how do we know that Janet is the same person that's showing us these diagnostic scans and results? And Janet's doctor said, because if you see the mark on her rib cage, it's the same mark on this new set of scans, uh, the new set of scans versus the old scans where she broke her rib many years ago and it matched up. And they said, yes, this is Janet, this is a real story. So one of the doctors said, well, maybe it's that one cycle of chemo that cured her. But another oncologist said, well, I don't believe that because when a patient has this type of lung cancer with metastatic disease, the chemo never works, even when a patient completes six cycles. When I heard that, I said, why are you doing this? It never works. They admitted to it. Um, so, you know, pearls of, of, of wisdom. Janet, I have every story has pearls of wisdom section. Janet said, I will never go off this diet. I have friends who were on the diet, and then their tumors disappeared. Then they went off the diet back to the standard American diet, and the tumors came back and they died. Janet said, I used to be cynical and angry, and now I'm more open and trusting. I thank God my tumor, I thank God my doctor was open-minded and encouraged me to explore macrobiotics. Nutrition makes a huge difference in your life. Janet said, we eat like pigs in America. Again, these are her words. She said, I thank God every morning for the new day before my feet hit the floor. And she closed the interview by saying, never give up, never give up, never give up. Um, Janet did not become a statistic because frequently when we hear prognoses by doctors, it's based on mass statistics, not individuals. So always remember that we are individuals. Right. And so she's still doing well to this day. She's doing great. She's living life with her new husband. Uh, she's riding her bike all over the community and just loving life. She's doing very well. She's doing great. Wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, I want people to know, and I got, you know, just from reading your book too, and hearing Gene Wallace, you know, there's not one diet that's right for everyone. And we, so I don't want people to think, oh, go on this macrobiotic diet and you'll be cured of cancer. That's a great point because it could take three hours. We could talk about nutritional oncology, what you should eat, what you, you should avoid eating uh, in your life. But it should be customized to the ind individual based on objective criteria. The word objective criteria means blood work. It could be tissue samples if you're testing for chemotherapy, but you, the individual, not everyone should take part in the vegetarian, vegan, keto, Gerson. There's all kinds of diets out there, but we want to get the right one and, and craft it for you as an individual. Things like supplementation also that can be greatly helpful 
uh, exercise and reducing stress in your life. That's extremely important. Reducing stress is critical because when we're very stressed out, uh, it affects our immune system and affects our immune system's ability to fight disease. Exercise is also great because it brings oxygen rich blood to our system and evidence-based supplementation can be very powerful as well. Again, the key word evidence-based. Exactly. And there's a practitioner that you highlight. Yeah, Gene Wallace is brilliant in the nutritional oncology area. Donna Yance is brilliant in the evidence-based supplementation arena. Um, and they're both, they both have chapters in the book. And I know you had one example of someone with pancreatic cancer. I had a close, close friend who did so many things. She lasted for four years. She, oh, I just loved her so much. I would love you to tell us a little bit about her. Yes, we have, there's a, a, a pancreatic cancer uh, patient, Diane Klenke. And Diane lives up in the uh, Wisconsin area. And pancreatic cancer is a very vicious type of cancer, as, as you know. Usually people don't make it three to six months past their diagnosis. So Diane, she was one day not feeling great. She felt bloated. She felt like she might have some excess gas in her system. She went to the doctor and the uh, doctor said, no, no big deal, you're fine. She went home and then she went back a couple days later to the doctor and said, I'm not feeling good. So they did some tests and the test came back and said, you have pancreatic cancer. And she said, I'm okay, I feel fine. And she couldn't believe it. She went for a second opinion to a major cancer center in the Midwest. And they said, no, you have pancreatic cancer. You're not long for this world. You've got about three months, get your affairs in order. So she's a real fighter, Diane. She's, she's feisty, she's strong. And, and she could not believe this was happening to her. Through a relative, she found out there was a doctor in Chicago named Dr. Keith Block. Keith is looked at frequently as the patriarch of integrative cancer. And, and Keith himself is brilliant. And Keith incorporates both conventional and alternative treatments and therapies, again, evidence-based. So he put her on a regimen of both chemo and alternative therapies. Now the chemo was what's called chronomodulated chemotherapy. Chrono as in the word chronology and chronology relates to timing. So his perspective is that the time of day that you give somebody chemo can tremendously impact the results you get in that chemo knocking out and, and suppressing and killing cancer cells and tumors. So with his protocol, you could be in the supermarket in the produce section, getting your chemo with your little pork, right? That you're carrying with you. He also though brings about other types of things that mitigates toxicity. Certain botanicals can mitigate toxicity of chemo. Certain vitamins can mitigate toxicity of chemo. Also, Fasting, believe it or not, the concept of fasting a day or two prior to chemo, the day of and the day after. Now, if you don't have the vitality to, vitality to fast, that's another thing. But fasting also means you can drink water and certain uh, types of broth. So that can also mitigate side effects as well as anecdotally acupuncture. But with a comprehensive systemic approach, Keith Block brought to the table chronomodulated chemo timing of the chemo. He also brings to the table frequently a chemosensitivity test, 
which he collaborates with Dr. Robert McGurney in California with. And McGurney does a chemosensitivity test where he tests actual tissue sample of your tissue against 12 to 15 types of chemotherapy to see which works best. And then he brings other things to the table in terms of certain botanical vitamins to mitigate toxicity, as well as exercise regimens, um, stress reduction regimens, certain types of evidence-based supplementation. Lo and behold, he had faith in Diane Klinke because she was a fighter and he could tell that she really wanted to bring everything she could integratively and complementarily to fight the cancer. Well, it's now something like 20 years later and she's doing fantastically well. She beat pancreatic cancer. Uh, she was also interviewed by Sanjay Gupta of CNN. And Sanjay Gupta is well known as the medical professional on CNN and he interviewed her as well because she had such a remarkable story. So bringing a multifaceted, systemic, comprehensive approach delivered by experts, sophisticated healthcare practitioners, personalized to the individual based on objective criteria, so it's personalized, delivered with compassion, can make a profound difference in saving lives, extending lives, and simultaneously enhancing quality of life. It's factual, it's irrefutable. I've met 500 people plus that are walking in those shoes um, with that kind of an approach. What an inspiring story. And you have so many inspiring stories in the book. I wanted to ask you, if someone is diagnosed with cancer, what is the first thing you would tell them to do? The first thing I would tell them is when they get a diagnosis is breathe. And I mean that. Breathe, take deep breaths, and slow down. It frequently takes, depending on which scientist you believe, five to 10 or even 15 to 20 years for cancer to develop from its microscopic origin where they can't see it. Breathe and don't rush into anything tomorrow. So when the doctor says on Thursday, we're starting chemo on Tuesday, say, I need a time out here. I need to think about this. I need to get a couple of opinions. So breathe, don't act impulsively, uh, and try to compile a team, get some different opinions. It's fine to get an opinion from a conventional standard of care oncologist. Also get an opinion from perhaps an integrative oncologist. Also perhaps get some opinions from a naturopath who specializes in cancer or other complementary specialists. Get a holistic picture of the best types of strategies that you can bring to the table to transform your biochemistry and enhance your immune system and fight the cancer simultaneously. But don't act impulsively and don't panic. I know it's easy to say don't panic, but after that initial panic of the first few days or the first week or two, just slow down and say, okay, now let's become solution oriented. And when someone tells you you've got a limited time frame, an expiration date, don't believe it because there are so many examples of real people who are here 10, 25 years later who are given prognoses of three months, six months, a year. Mm. And that means with brain cancer, pancreatic, lung, breast, prostate, ovarian, colon cancer, melanoma, they're all, all of these types of cancers. And like you said, I think it's so important to ha have a healthcare team around you. Don't Absolutely. just put all your faith in one thing or one doctor. And be careful what you read on the internet 
there is good stuff and good information on the on the internet, and then there's some stuff which is not so good. It's hard if you're not in that field and if you don't do the research to discern what is profoundly beneficial and what is not going to help you. So therefore, try to find, even if you can't meet with somebody in your neighborhood, you can do telephone consults with experts around the country who can help bring integrative and complementary therapies to the table that can certainly optimize your outcome dramatically. Now, before we get into the random round questions, is there anything else you want to leave with our audience? Anything from the book? Any other pearls of wisdom? Yeah, I'll say just a few things. Um, Don't give up. Don't quit. Life is worth living. Uh, It's not easy when you're going through this. Admittedly, I acknowledge it's it's challenging mentally and emotionally and physically. Be careful about taking advice from your well-meaning friends and relatives, all of whom want to tell you that you should do this and you should do that and you should talk to this doctor. Get toxic people out of your life. This is a time to focus on you, your number one, and, and just realize that there is hope. There are many people who have walked in your shoes. I'm telling you this because it's fact. It's not opinion. It's fact. So keep moving forward. There is always hope regardless of the prognosis. Perfect message. So fill in the blank. Freedom (laughs) to you is? Oh, freedom to me. Well, um, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom to uh, make independent decisions, like in Hope Never Dies, (laughs) to take action for your, your health and well-being in dealing with cancer or whatever. The last show you binged and loved. I don't know that I'd call it a show, but I did watch a lot of the Olympics. I did enjoy watching that every day to see what was going on. Uh, that, that was fun. And I was flipping the channels. There was four different channels it was on where I am. Uh, I'm in the Phoenix, Arizona area, but I really enjoyed watching the Olympics. I think you like people who overcome I have a lot of respect for people who, in the face of adversity and challenge, don't necessarily uh, take the road frequently traveled. I have a lot of respect for people who, when they're told they can't do something, who dig deep and say, well, watch me. I can and I will. Uh, we, we, you know, I, there's lots of great conventional things, certainly in the world, with everything, including medicine. But I do have a lot of respect for people who uh, have the courage of their convictions. If you could have a one-hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? My father, my dad. I I was uh, extraordinarily fortunate to have a great mom and a great dad. My My mom passed away about three years ago. My dad passed away in 1996. But my dad, a man of wisdom, And uh, I just love to spend more time with him. So nice. What is your favorite go-to snack? Sometimes nuts, you know, just some nuts that I eat and sometimes healthy chips. Focus on that. I'm not a potato chip guy, but there are healthy or healthier organic chips that I will sometimes munch on. (laughs) What's one simple thing that brings you joy? 
Um, one simple thing. Um, having great conversation like this brings me joy. Um, a quiet, beautiful beach brings me joy. Um, those things bring me joy. There's so many things that, that bring me joy. There's so many things that can bring us joy, but great conversation is uplifting. And uh, I, I was recently on a beach and a quiet, beautiful beach is pretty nice. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds perfect. What's on your nightstand? I have several books on my nightstand simultaneously. Um, got a couple of cancer books and, and then just nonfiction books that I, you know, shuffle around, but some books. And what is your favorite form of exercise? In Arizona, I like to do some hiking. There's some gorgeous, gorgeous hiking areas. Um, I recently got back into tennis. I used to play tennis many years ago competitively, but I had a couple of injuries. But recently, I'm getting back into tennis. I want to get back. And uh, I'm not sure I'm going to be a threat to Federer or Djokovic or Nadal, but I'll do my best. So uh, tennis and hiking are a lot of fun. I love both those things. And I used to play tennis and now I start a pickleball. And then once I tried to play tennis again, I couldn't even hit the ball. <laughs> so don't play pickleball. Yeah. It's really fun though. What's one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? Um, great family, great friends, and great health. We can't take for granted our health and family and friends are really important. It's about relationships in life. It's not about, in my opinion, material things. It's not about material things. It's nice to have nice material things, but that's not what it's about at the end of the day. And where can people find out more about your work and your book? The website, hopeneverdies.com. Hopeneverdies.com. You can find out about the book. You can, if somebody wants to purchase the book, they can buy it through Amazon or through the website. And, uh, you can contact me, in fact, through hopeneverdies.com. Thank you so much, Rick. You're doing such important work, and I so appreciate your time. And I know so many people will get so much out of this. So thank you. It's my absolute pleasure. and Keep up the great work. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.